Have, have you ever been your own worst enemy? <laughs> Has there ever been a moment in your life when you've looked in the mirror and thought, I'm my biggest problem? Amen. You know, it's, it's, the old song says, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We're, we're going to look at a guy today that is like a lot of us. Because the reality is there's a lot of Jacob in me and in you. We're resistant to what God wants to do. We think we know best. We think we can figure it out. And, and we can be prideful and unteachable and unwilling to listen or to bend or to break to what God has designed for our lives, to what God wants us to be. And we fail to fulfill our potential. For too many lives, what could have been is the story, rather than what is and what is reality. It's the what could have been. If only they had done this, if only they had made this decision, if only they had come sooner to the Lord. It's the if only and what ifs of life. The reality is it's hard for us to come to the end of ourselves because our flesh dies hard. I mean, we, we kind of like to run our own lives. We kind of like to live on our own terms because we get away with it and God has a patience about himself that we think, well, it doesn't matter what I do because God is not going to mess with me, but God is going to mess with you. He's going to get in your business. Because you see, God sees who you could be if only you would just let go and let him be in charge. So in Genesis 32, which is the text that you just heard, let's look at the background before the battle. You know, I'm not sure that Jacob could adequately explain what happened that night. Uh, he may have just said something like this, I, I met God there. I, I surrendered my life to God there. Uh, God changed my life. It, it's hard to describe a divine encounter with God, but here's what we know. This place of wrestling was an altar. It is where he met with God and God met with him. It was an altar where everything changed about Jacob's life. But before that, there was a lot to deal with. I mean, a lot to deal with. You think your two-year-old is a problem? How would you like to have had Jacob? I mean, he did not play well with other children. He wrestled against his brother from the womb. It was a constant wrestling match. He was constantly trying to get ahead. And not only that, he's in a dysfunctional family. Uh, Jacob favors Esau. Rebecca favors, uh, I mean, Isaac favors Esau. Rebecca favors Jacob. I mean, it's dysfunctional. This is a, not a good home. And, and so Jacob is growing up in this home of dysfunction and he doesn't like his brother and his brother doesn't like him. And, and the Bible says that God couldn't use Esau 
In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says that Esau was a profane man. The word profane in Hebrews 12 means out of the temple. In other words, Esau was a totally secular man in the way he thought. He never thought about the things of God. He never thought about the ways of God. And for all of his issues, of all the people that you could imagine using, God chose to use Jacob. And so the next time you think, God can't use me, God may just be about to use you, but he's got to get you fit for service. He's got to get you ready for what he has for you. You see, when we look at his life, it's hard to even think of him in the same breath with his grandfather and with his father. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I mean, of all people, Jacob? And yet, here he is. And we need to remember when we look at Jacob that none of us are beyond the need of grace. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. All of us are people that need a divine encounter with the living God. Because there is that Jacob in us. I, I woke up this morning, and while I was looking over my notes again before this service, I was reminded over and over again, there's a lot of Jacob in me and in you. Because we all want life on our terms. And then we want God to leave us alone. And so Jacob is one of twins. Genesis 25, he steals a birthright. In Genesis 27, he and his mom scheme to deceive Isaac so that he can get the blessing. I mean, this is not random sinful acts. This is a willful pattern inside this family of sinning. And you can understand why there's hostility between these two brothers. I mean, they don't like each other. I mean, he's first stolen the birthright, now the father's blessing, and then Jacob takes off running. And along the way, he gets a taste of his own medicine. You see, there's a law of the harvest. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. And there's a law of the harvest going on in the life of Jacob. He goes and he, he finds a wife, and his father-in-law cheats him out of his wages. His father-in-law cheats him out of the the daughter that he says he wanted to marry. So he's got to stay and work longer. And ten times in Jacob's life, his father-in-law is cheating him. You think ever one time he put his head down on the pillow and say, you know, this is happening to me because of what I did to my brother. Not only that, the consequences of our rebellion against God are long-term. Now the sin is forgiven. And it is washed under the blood of Jesus Christ. But the consequences of what people see in our behavior are long-term. Not only did he go and his father-in-law deceive him and cheat him out of his wages, and then he's got to leave his father-in-law, go back and face his brother Esau, but his sons deceive him about the fate of Joseph. You see... Our unwillingness to listen to God can affect our children and our grandchildren. It can have generational effects on our lives because we model something that is not correct behavior for them. And so here's this man headed to Bethel, going back to Bethel, and he's going to face his brother Esau. I can assure you this is not a fun road trip. 
Look at the coming confrontation, and that's in verses 1 through 12. But I want you to just back up to verse 10. Let, actually, back up to verse 9. Back up to verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and that attack the mother with the children. Time doesn't always heal all wounds. And he's saying, man, I, I got to go back and face Esau. Now, I didn't read it, but here's what he knows he's facing. He split his company up, but he's facing Esau coming at him with 400 men. The only thing that Jacob is thinking is it's payback time. It's payback time. I mean, my brother's coming and I'm dead meat. It's payback time for me. Verse 9, he prays. Now, there's always hope for the man or woman who prays. Now, he prays probably a selfish prayer. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want my brother to hurt me. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to deal with the consequences of my sin and of my life. He's praying a selfish prayer. He didn't want to suffer in, in pain. And too often our praying is just simply that, Lord, get me out of trouble. Now, here's what happens. You do it, I do it. Lord, if you'll do this, I promise you, I will serve you. If you'll fix this, if you'll take care of this, I promise you, I will serve you. And two months later, you forgot and you even prayed that prayer. It's like the guy that's on the airplane, never flown before in his life, and he's on an airplane, and all of a sudden they hit turbulence and rough air, and they're bouncing all over the place. And he says, Lord, if you get me off this plane, I'll never get on one again. And the next time he gets on a plane, somebody says, hey, I thought you promised the Lord something. He said, well, you know, it worked then. I'll just figure it out now. We're always bargaining. We're always negotiating. Lord, I'm in trouble. Would you help me? And the Lord is an ever-present help in time of trouble. That's what the Bible says. But he's not an escape hatch. He doesn't want to be used that way. Look, look at what, what uh, Jacob is feeling. First of all, he felt ashamed in verse 10. Secondly, he feels afraid. If you back up to verse 7, he's afraid. He's ashamed. He's afraid. But here's the kicker in verse 24. He's alone. There's no more desperate time in our lives than when we feel ashamed, afraid, and alone. But even in the midst of that, in verses 9 through 23, he's coming up with a plan. He's trying to think through, now how am I going to meet Esau? How am I going to deal with this? I, I got it. I'll split up my company and maybe his vengeance will be over and maybe he'll kill half of my tribe, but he won't kill them all and I'll still have some left. Can you imagine the joy of those women and children as they're split up to say, you go be the sacrificial lambs, so maybe when Esau gets to me, his vengeance will have been accomplished. So he's still scheming. He's still plotting. 
He's still planning. Let, let me give you a thought here you don't need to forget. Beware of praying and plotting. You can't pray and ask God to trust something and plot your own way out at the same time. When you're going to God in times of trouble, just go to God and let him provide the plan. Let him provide the idea. Let him provide the motivation. You can't pray and plot at the same time. Prayer should be out of desperation, not deliberation. And so here he is. He sent his women and his children and his flocks ahead, and he returns to the Jabbok, the tributary of the Jordan River. And look at this undeniable encounter. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This night was going to be a defining moment. He's alone with God. And an angel wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, I want you to see three things here. This is the choice that Jacob is making. By the way, this is the choice we have to make. Same choice. Whether we're going to live our way or live God's way. Whether we're going to do it by our schemes and our plans or we're going to do it by God's plan and by God's word. We either live by promises or we live by scheming. And so here, here's the choice that he's going to make. It's either going to be submission or self-assertion. Submission. I'm either going to submit to God or I'm going to assert myself in this situation. I'm going to depend on my personality, my gifts, my skills, my talents, or I'm going to submit to God. It's either going to be defiance or dependence. He's either going to depend on God or he's going to continue to defy God in what God's trying to do in his life. And thirdly, there's reliance or resistance. Reliance or resistance. I'm either going to learn to walk by faith or I'm going to resist the work of God in my life. You see, here's the reality. God wants to get us alone. Now, I know it's Hard to get alone when you're in a room full of people, but God wants to get us alone. And, and when God begins to work in your life and we begins to work in my life, you could be in a crowd of tens of thousands of people, but God can single you out. And right now, in many ways, the Holy Spirit is moving through this room and he's talking to you individually and personally. I don't know what you're wrestling with God about. I don't know what you're running from. I don't know what you're afraid of, but I know this. God knows it, and the Holy Spirit knows what you're dealing with. And right now, he's just kind of drawing a circle around you. And, and some of you feel like you're the only person in the room right now. You're not. There are other people going through it. But the Spirit of God is getting specific with you. This. See, God wants an encounter with us. He wants to meet us in a time of desperation, in a time of surrender, where our pride and our self-sufficiency are laid down at the altar to get away from the distractions, the props, the schemes, the agenda, so that he can confront and correct and change our lives. God doesn't confront us just because he's got nothing better to do. God confronts us because he wants to change us. He wants to change our lives. And so God wants to meet with Jacob. And it says, a man wrestled with him. Now, 
I mean, you got to think about it. There, there are no flashlights. There's no cell phone, you know, flashlight. I mean, there's, there's nothing. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And it's pitch black. And Jacob is alone. And all of a sudden, there's a man wrestling with him. He probably thought at first it was Esau. That Esau had snuck up on him, and now he was in a battle with his brother. But over the course of time, he realizes that he's wrestling with somebody else. Verse 25. And this person he's wrestling with touched the socket of his thigh and threw his hip out. So here's what you need to understand about this man. Most biblical scholars believe that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. There are several times in the Old Testament when you see what could be called a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Not an angel, because he had met with the angels early in this chapter. This is a messenger of God. Now, can I just tell you, you don't want to get in a wrestling match with Jesus. He's bigger He's stronger, and his daddy can beat your daddy. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to get in a wrestling match with Jesus. And here's Jacob. He's so full of himself and so full of pride, even though he's afraid, even though he thinks he's about to lose it, he's fighting. But in that moment of wrestling, God throws his hip out. Now, he could have done that a lot quicker. He could have done that the first time he hit him. But God throws him out. And all of a sudden, Jacob stops wrestling against and starts wrestling for. I need a blessing. I, I don't, I don't want to wrestle against God anymore. I need a blessing. I need you to bless me. His plotting and his scheming are over. Look at verse 27. So he, that's the messenger of God, said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And he saw God face to face. He didn't say he saw an angel face to face. That's why they believe it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. He saw God face to face and had been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as it crossed over Penel, and he was limping on his thigh. What's your name? Be honest, Jacob. What's your name? The word Jacob, the name Jacob means twister, supplanter, cheater, Conniver. I mean, he's, I mean, he's a card shark. <laughs> I mean, he, he's the guy that he's got the sleight of hand. He always knows the move to make. What's your name, Jacob? Uh, do you think Jesus didn't know his name? He knew his name. What Jesus wanted Jacob to do was to admit his nature. My nature is to twist and steal, and connive, and lie, and cheat. At the core of my being, that's what I am. I, I'm just a person looking out for myself. 
I'm just a person looking out to get my way. I'm a person looking out to deceive anybody I can to get the upper hand. What's your name? It's an admission of who he really is. Verse 28, he, he, he struggled with God and man. But can I tell you something? His greatest struggle was with himself. Isn't that your greatest struggle? It's my greatest struggle. I mean, I'm, I'm like the Apostle Paul. You know, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. You know, who can deliver me from this body of sin and death? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I don't have to struggle. I have to surrender. I don't need to be wrestling with God every day of my life. I just need to wake up and surrender to God. And this place where he met God, where he experienced God, he was given a new name, Israel. Prince with men and prince with God. I mean, he changed him from a conniver and a cheat and a thief and a twister to a man who could prevail with God and with men. I mean, you talk about a nature change. This is a total change of his life. But, but I want you to notice something. He walked with a limp. Don't miss that. Now, when everybody left him, when all his family and his flocks left him, you know, Jacob's just kind of walking along and he's just kind of moving through the, hey, how y'all doing? Good to see you. You know, cheated you out, cheated you out, cheated you out, messed with you, got in your business, hey, did all this kind of stuff. Now they see him the next day and he's like, what happened? I got in a wrestling match with God. And I lost, but I think I won. How's that? Because I'm a different man today. The man that sent you off is not the same man you see today. God changed me, and he gave me a new name. Guess what? He probably had to use a walking stick the rest of his life. When he saw his sons, Dad, why are you limping? Because I wrestled with God. And God got my attention. You imagine when he had grandkids? Granddaddy, why are you limping? Why, why do you walk like, what happened to you? I wrestled with God. And God got my attention. Can I tell you what a limp was? I had an uncle with polio and I remember watching him walk. And it is stuck in my mind. Because he would go down, and then he would go up. And he would go down, and then he would go up. Listen, folks, the way to up is down. If you want to get up out of sin and self, then you got to get down. The way to up is down. When Jacob admitted who he was, I'm a sinner, I'm a twister, I'm a conniver. You see, we are by nature sinners. We're all born into sin. We are by nature sinners, but we are also by choice sinners. We choose to sin. I mean, we choose to mess up. And in this moment, God forgives him of his sin and his sins. God deals with him. And God corrects him. But he gets honest. He's got a new name. He walks differently. Thinks differently. 
Not the same man anymore. He realizes later on what deception really does to people when they're not honest because he gets deceived for a long time about the fate of Joseph. Let me ask you today, what's your name? I, I don't mean the name that's on your birth certificate. I mean, no, you don't see many people name their kids Jacob. Nobody names their kid Lucifer. I mean, you, when's the last time you saw a kid who read a school roll? Those are your teachers. Okay, and uh, uh, Judah Smith. Where are you, Judah Smith? Uh, looking for Judah Smith. Nobody names their kids that, but all of us are a Judas in our heart because we would deny and betray the Lord if we thought it was to our advantage. What's your name? You see, what God wants is God wants us to get totally honest with Him about who we are. It's, it's not like He's going, oh my goodness, I did not know that about you. Hold on a minute. He knows exactly who you are. He wants you to know who you are. He wants you to see who you are. He wants me to see who I am so that in the process, He can change us into something that we could never be without him. This could be the day that you have a wrestling match with God. This could be the day that you give up your scheming and your plotting and your twisting and say to the Lord, Lord, I'm not doing a really great job with my life right now, but I give it to you. Would you bless me? I want you to see four results of him surrendering to God. First of all, there was a new identity. It's a new identity. Especially those of you in this room that have come to Christ later in life, there's a new identity. Maybe you were known for one thing and now you're known for something else because Christ has changed your life. You got a new name, Israel. Same thing happened to Paul. He was Saul, and then on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. He said, you're not going to be Saul anymore. You're going to be Paul. Same thing happened to Simon Peter. He changed his name. Why? Because there was such a change in his life, it seemed the name change was appropriate. You see, the greatest name you can be called is Christian, like Christ. One who is like Christ. He got a new identity. Secondly, he got a new vision of God. Every time he went by this brook, he remembered, oh, that's where I met with God. Every time he went by, there was a new vision of God. There was a new beginning. It's a new beginning. Everything started new with him. And then there was a new opportunity to witness. Can you imagine the difference in the guy that sent all his family off to try to protect himself and the guy that they met when he walked up to him with a limp? That was his testimony. My testimony is my limp is a sign that I have met with God and God touched me and God wrestled with me and I surrendered to him and he changed my life. Not only that, he changed my name. Can you imagine his kids trying to learn to call him a new name? 
What a change. Could be the same for you today. Could be the same for you today. In a moment, you're going to have a time to respond to the Lord at this altar. This altar could be your brook where you wrestle with God and lay it down and say, Lord, I surrender. I give it to you. I'm tired of twisting. I'm tired of deceiving. I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of playing games, whatever it is. Lord, at this altar, I give it to you. Now listen, you may not walk out of here with a limp. I mean, you know, I'm not going to tell any of you you're going to come to the altar and when you get up all of a sudden your hip's going to be out of socket. You may not walk out of here with a limp. You may walk out of here with a leap because you realize you've been set free from yourself. But I promise you this, if you meet with God, you will walk out of here differently. There'll be a new name, a new identity, a new beginning, a new opportunity for you to be a witness for Christ. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? I'm going to invite you this morning, if today is a day that there's something in your life that you've been wrestling with the Lord about, something in your life you've been resisting the Lord about. I mean, it's been a battle. It's up and down, and you're always thinking about, how can I get out of dealing with this? And I'm going to invite you to just come this morning to this altar. We're not going to sing right now. I'm just going to invite you to come. Just to come to this altar and say, Lord, I don't want to wrestle anymore. I don't want to fight you anymore. I don't want to resist you anymore. I, I don't want to pay the consequences of being a resistant follower. I don't want it to impact me. I don't want it to impact my kids, my grandkids. I, I want to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you need to come today and trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've been resisting the wooing and the, the calling of the Holy Spirit into your life. To give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to come today and find one of these men at the front and say, I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to be saved today. I want to trust Christ today.